Welcome to Bush Footy Legends, presented by Healthway, promoting the Think Mental Health message. We'll be dusting off the old pigskin and catching up with a few of the people who have made country footy tick in Western Australia. When I played Country Week basketball against the teenage Dean Kemp, I'd have to admit, I would never have thought this scrawny blonde bombshell of a kid from Kalgoorlie would become one of the most courageous and most brilliant footballers WA has ever produced. But with two premierships for the West Coast Eagles and a Norm Smith medal to boot, Kemp enshrined himself as a player for the ages. Dean joins me now to talk about one of WA football's most storied careers. G'day Tommy, how are you mate? Good, thanks but uh, Good to hear from you mate. Ah, very nice to talk to you again. And Tommy, look, it's 19 years, can you believe it, since you played your last of 243 games for the West Coast Eagles. Time flies, doesn't it? It certainly does, mate, yeah. I was um, only thinking about that quite recently, really. I've you know, been down here in Margarita 20 years now, so uh, yeah, it's incredible how fast time can pass by. And what a beautiful place it is, and we'll get to that very shortly. But gee, just to think that it's nearly two decades past and... It was such a whirlwind part of your life, wasn't it? Do you do you reflect on it often? Oh, every now and then, mate. I've, uh, I still obviously keep in contact with uh, a lot of my old footy mates from uh, back in the day playing up there in Perth. But, yeah, there's some wonderful memories. I mean, we've played in such a privileged time, you know, to play footy. I mean, it was becoming sort of, you know, sort of semi-professional uh, football. Most of the guys still had jobs and things. But, you know, to, to it... Uh, it just come into being a national competition, you know, from the VFL to the AFL. So it was a really exciting time. And obviously it was the first sort of uh, real big push from the West Coast Eagles to, to finally have some, you know, some success in the finals. You certainly played in an extraordinary period under Mick Malthouse, that's for sure. And we'll talk about him very shortly. But did you have a job yourself, Kempi, when you first started? Yes, mate. I was, uh, I'm an electrician by trade, so a very, very skilled electrician. And uh, one of the greats. I, uh, actually, I remember a story. I because I, uh, I did my apprenticeship, and um, Subiaco, um, president Alan White was his name. He used to be the president of Subiaco, and um, my brother Gary and I had a little electrical business in Perth. And we used to do all Rick Hart's fans, um, and also you know any odd jobs that come up. But uh, I remember Whitey got me out to his big flash place in Florida and wanted to get a couple of lights put in. And myself and my brother were up there, and we did the job and. Oh, you know, because we used to do the job, make sure you string it out, have a couple of iced coffees lying down on the roof, mate, that sort of thing. <laughs> and uh, I actually put my foot through the ceiling. Oh. And I said to my brother, I said, oh, shit, I put my foot through the ceiling. He said, oh, don't worry about it, we'll be right, let's just get out of here, right? <laughs> so we went back to training that afternoon, you know, and, and Whitey, the president, rang up and said, oh, thanks, boys, for the job, excellent, you know. And lo and behold, mate, you wouldn't believe it, it rained that night and you had a bit of a leak in the roof. And the water comes down through the chip pocket and the ceiling fell in. <laughs> and mate, I, I didn't have the heart to tell him that it was actually us that broke the ceiling, but you know, there must have been something the matter with the roof because we didn't do that damage. Well it sounds but, like thank- um, yeah, sounds like thank- <laughs> Sounds like thankfully you're a much better footballer than you were a Sparky, Kempy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did a couple of jobs for Mickey Moldhouse as well, but he never paid me, so I'm still looking for that money. <laughs> He's still around, he hasn't gone yet. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, talking of Rick Hart, I think he was a big Eagles fan back in those days before he became the Dockers chairman later in the piece. He was, mate. He's a very good man. He was a normal bloke back then, Rick, which uh, was fantastic. <laughs> but no, nah, he's a good man, Rick. He's sort of, uh, yeah, he was with the Eagles early on and then um, obviously he was a big supporter of, uh, of the Dockers. But uh, you know, he's a good fellow, Rick. As you said, Tommy, you've retired down to Margaret River pretty much straight after your playing career ended. Uh, a fairly 
different time down there than it was, you know, the sand and the surf and the, the good times than it was growing up in Kalgoorlie on the goldfields, I'd imagine. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> it was wonderful to be so close to the beach, you know. I mean, Kalgoorlie, we had to go to Estrus four hours to get near the beach. And uh, we only had the slime dumps up there, mate, to have a bit of fun out there on the motorbikes and bits and pieces. And uh, I can always remember when Trevor Nesbitt first started his job at Subiaco and he came up and, and uh, tracked me down. I was out riding my motorbikes with my mates and, and they come and put an offer to, to me to come down and try out at Subiaco. And, you know, it was uh, the fun part of my life, the best time of my life probably up in Kalgoorlie and growing up and playing all the sports up there and riding motorbikes. It was, uh, yeah, a good time. I've heard a few stories about those slime dumps. I'm not sure we should go into them today, though. <laughs> we'll leave them for another day. <laughs> leave them for another day. Why not? Now, mate, you, you thrived in the whirlwind of AFL footy in Australia's biggest cities for so long, but having known you, you've never seemed to lose those those country roots and values that you hold dear. How how important were they to you as you grew up growing up in Kalgoorlie? Oh, yeah, extremely important, yeah. I mean, you know, to grow up in a, in a country town, and you know, Kalgoorlie was... Um, it was an awesome town to grow up in. It was sport-orientated, sport you know. It, uh, each season, whether it be, you know, winter or summer, whatever it may be, you're playing some sport and, you know, always outside. And my older brothers always would keep, you know, kept me tuned into the game and um, keep me honest and bash me up from pillar to post. But we, uh, we had a good time growing up and it was lots of fun. I was certainly going to ask you about the uh, days in the backyard with the Kemp boys. They must have been pretty robust, I would imagine. Yeah, they definitely were. My older brother, Gary, he's, he was five years older than me and my other brother, Wayne, is seven years older. So they uh, they had a fair start and then a fair bit of size. <laughs> I wasn't that big anyway growing up. and um, But uh, they definitely um, yeah taught me to look after yourself as best you can in the footy field when you had the ball or going for it, yeah. Well, having seen you and played basketball against you in those teenage years, I would have thought around 40, 50 kilos ringing lit would have seen you out in those years. I reckon there wouldn't have been much more than that. <laughs> but uh, and, and I did eat lots of food, you know. We had lots of food in Kalgoorlie. Mum and Dad, we had a butcher shop and everything. So it could have been bigger than that. <laughs> what was the favourite fare from the butcher shop, mate? Oh, we had anything we wanted, mate. The back door entrance, you know. So it was uh, Kemp's family butchers. And we had, I got a great photo. Oh, my brother actually up in Kalgoorlie has got a great photo of a horse and cart of uh, my dad and his dad sitting in the Kemp's butcher's uh, trolley, you know, sort of uh, going out with the with the butcher's pack in the back. And, yeah, so we had three butcher shops in Kalgoorlie, two in Kalgoorlie and one in Coolgardie. So it was um, a really good upbringing. You know, we were really lucky. We, we always got fed well, looked after, and um, had plenty of time to play sports. What do you reckon were the main lessons you learned back then, Kempy, on those mean streets of the goldfields? Oh, but it was such a good time. It was such a good, uh, you know, place to grow up. I had a lot. I've got a lot of cousins in Kalgoorlie, and, and a, sort of a few of them sort of quite handy with the gloves and that sort of thing, you know. So I was, I would always be in their time, their teams, when we were playing footy. They'd always sort of look after me. But, but uh, I, I think playing against, you know, sort of grown men, you know, miners and that sort of stuff, underground miners and these guys were, were really, really, you know, tough guys and. I mean, you see a lot of the blokes now with tattoos, but back then, I tell you, only the real tough blokes had tattoos, and there was a fair few of them up in Kalgoorlie. But uh, I remember my first grand final, I played league footy, and I think I was 16, 17, and I started on the bench in the grand final, and um, the guy sitting next to me uh, got suspended that day, and I think it was about 14 or 20 weeks he got. It was a big fight, and, um, you know, a lot was going on, and 
I can always remember that after that grand final, you know, the next day. So we ended up winning the grand final, which made it pretty sweet. But um, I, I always, you know, always thought back on how serious it actually was, the game went at that time, you know, and, and what it sort of meant to people, especially in Kalgoorlie, football was, was really important. Clearly, that's where you learned all those that beautiful ducking and weaving then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to. I mean, I got a caught, I got caught a few times, but you do your best, don't you? <laughs> you do. You just do your best, mate. Obviously, being a good country boy, did that sort of playing against those older blokes? Did that help your transition when you did finally move up to play for Subiaco in Perth? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Yeah, it really helped. I mean, I remember when Tim Jep came up one year, and. Um, I presume he, I'm not sure who he was with, uh, whether it was with some kind of thing, because I know he played uh, for, for Western Bulldogs and also Richmond and East Fremantle. I think it may have been something to do with East Fremantle. And anyway, um, he had the A-grade uh, squad together, and it was man-on-man session. So Jeffy took over, and I went in there to, to do the one-on-one, and he looked at me and said, hey, hey, hang on a second, this young bloke can't get in there and play. <laughs> you know, he can't do this. And all the other boys said, no, no, he's all right. So... Jeffy let me go and off he went. And I think it definitely did hold me in good stead for, for later in my life when I went up to Perth and and played senior footy up there. And who would have thought all those years later you would have had so much to do with him at the Eagles as well, Jeffy? <laughs> and, and he's still there. And he's still there. Huh? <laughs> he's still there. <laughs> one of the great survivors, Jeffy, one of the great survivors. <laughs> the most elusive men in WA football. <laughs> <laughs> so so then let's head forward a few years and you step up as a 21-year-old as a Eagles debutante in 1990. Was there was there a pressure there knowing that you're about to go and play your, your first game even though you'd been through all that sort of grounding? Yeah, definitely pressure. I mean, um, and I was, I was I injured my groin actually in the pre-season that year, my first year with the Eagles and and um, you know, I didn't really want to go in for an operation. And uh, Mick called me into the doctor's room one day, and it was only a sort of about six weeks from the season. He said, "Look, you need to get this sorted out. Uh, you go under the knife, you know, and we get it fixed up." But um, I had a miraculous recovery that night. You know, to go think about it, we really wanted to go in for an operation, and it sort of felt a little bit better in the morning. And funny that I seemed to be able to forget about it. So I, I continued on, and and um, I, I played actually a couple of scratch matches against Maney on the wing. And uh, Chris May and Waring, and I got a few kicks in that, and sort of got it on a bit of a roll, and and was lucky enough to to get in for the first game. And I remember lining up on um, Collingwood sort of hard man Darren Mullane. Wow, he was on on one wing, and I was on the other wing. Uh, and Paul Pierce was in the other wing, and um, Paul Pierce was playing on a, on a young guy, Graham Wright, and I think it was his first year as well. And I think he's involved with Hawthorne now, Wrighty. Yeah, so that's right. And uh, I I sort of looked at Mullane. Jeez, he's good size, about six foot three, and looked across and I thought, oh, this guy's more my size. So I zipped around the back of the square before the first ball was bounced and said to Poodoo, you know, his eyes were fired up, red, raw, ready to roll. I said, mate, this old bloke over the side's probably going to be more your pace. This young bloke is a bit quick, so we need to make a move, you know. So I got away with it, mate. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I uh, ended up playing on, on Graham Wright, and we had a good win. I think there was a big uh, brawl that day, and Tony Francis got six weeks or something for stomping on someone's head or something or kicking someone or something and so it was a it was a fun introduction it really was in the AFL it reminded me a little bit of Kagoli really and I thought oh here we go this is the way it is yeah buckle yourself in well Pudu was never very smart he played for Dean Mill and he was probably used to playing on those big gold <laughs> lock choppers down there anyway 
<laughs> he, he wouldn't have a clue, but I just said, mate, you just go over there and you'll be fine. <laughs> just nodded his head and off he went. Yes, Tommy, no problem. <laughs> what did you just mentioned Mick Malthouse. How daunting was it starting your AFL career under a bloke like Mick? Oh, it was really daunting, mate. It was, um, and Mick always tells the story when he comes to West Coast in the end of 89, he'd written two guys' names down on a board at uh, Whitten Over there, Bulldogs there, and it was myself and Brett Hetty. And I think Terry Wheeler was the new incoming coach. Yep. And um, he said, oh, you want to check these two guys out? They might be worthwhile looking at, you know? And um, and uh, folk, folklore has it that he sort of looked at it and wiped them off and said, oh, my ass is just being an idiot, you know, and trying to set me up or something. But... But it's interesting how it all works out, isn't it? You know, and Brett and I were lucky enough to be at the Eagles for a long time and a really successful time. So um, I'm pretty happy that we got to stay here in Perth, which is great. How would you describe the support that Mick gave you over you? I mean, you played under him for a decade. How would you describe how he was for you? Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, I still talk to him now quite often. You know, every couple of months we have a chat and he'll ring me up or I'll ring him up to see how he's going and um, whenever I go to Melbourne this year for the grand final we usually catch up and we have a coffee and he still hasn't bought one I mean he's been you know he said last year he's mean he's forgot his wallet or something I think he said last year but and I know he's struggling a bit with the with counting all his money so hopefully this year mate, I might get him mate he might actually buy me a coffee but but no it in actual fact, mate, he was an amazing coach, incredible, you know, to me and my career and a lot of the guys that we all played together. He, you know, he's a different cat, there's no doubt about that, but he was a tremendous motivator and a footy coach. And when you needed it most, was he there sort of as a mentoring support too when, when times were tough? Oh, yeah, most definitely. He was there right through. Had a great, you know, Trevor Nesbitt and Robbie Wiley and Timmy Jepp. Mm. You know, we had a really good core, four really awesome people there that... Um, were there with it, you know. Most of them had been through it as well and they knew the pressures of, of footy and, and what was involved and, and the ups and downs. And, uh, yeah, you know, the late, the late Trevor Strigg is another great man, you know, and Serge Miller. So there's a lot of really good people. And um, But to be involved with them was, was a pleasure. Out of all the things you achieved, Tommy, I find this an incredible stat. It's a club that's, you know, the West Coast Eagles, a club that's been a finals-making machine since its first September battle back in 1988, and you lead the class. A club record, 25 finals matches, one more than Guy McKenna. You must love that bit, and he always must hate that, it. Always had Bluey, always had Bluey covered. Oh, <laughs> he, mu- he oh. must hate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's something, I, you know, I'm very proud of really to be able to play that many finals. is a tremendous effort, I reckon. Because one of my, you know, favourite players growing up was Robbie Flower, you know, mm. and that's probably why, you know, I was really after number two as a footy chapper. It's because of that guy I used to watch right. him play, and, and to think Similar that players he only played, you know, sort of a handful. Of, he was a fantastic player, wasn't he? Was he? He what? sort of only yeah. played a handful of finals games, you know. And you think, far out, you know, how lucky was I to be able to play so many finals games? You know, like a season, season, a bit of finals is is an amazing time. Actually, I was just thinking about you talking about Mick Moldes there a moment ago. I think you played two hundred and forty-three games, and I think he actually coached two hundred and forty-three games for the Eagles. So there's a bit of a weird twist between the two of you. Ah, and- okay. <laughs> and I think uh, now we move on to Bluey, as we were just talking about. Bluey McKenna, you both played in your last <laughs> final ever in a 1999 semi-final loss to Carlton, and it was Mick Malthouse's final game as Eagles coach. What Do you have some vivid memories from that day? Oh, I don't really, but to tell you the truth, you know, I've been knocked around the head a lot, mate, but <laughs> I don't really remember that much. I mean, 
I'll always remember Buddy Blue McKenna, but I suppose there's something that we can always chat about, me and him being that was our last finals game. But, uh, oh, that's an interesting stat that I didn't realise that was the case. I imagine Blue would do most of the chatting. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know what he's bloody like now. He can I talk think it he's up. The, uh, cricket <laughs> he's running the Cricket Association in Victoria. You know, we catch up once a year, we go to the races together. And, uh, I said, mate, what do you possibly know about cricket? He said, well, nothing. Nothing at all, Tommy. <laughs> Not even about cricket. I said, but the cricket club. And he said, that's the funny thing. That's the funny thing about it. Well, <laughs> someone all, told me... It's all a game of bluff. Someone told me he was a left-hand... Was he, he was a left-hand batsman and he bowled right-hand rubbish, someone told me. <laughs> that's right. And real rubbish, yeah. Real... Yeah. Absolute yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> now that 1999 that was the same year that the Eagles lost their first ever game to the Dockers it's probably good that you don't remember that I heard uh, Greg Harding say in an interview in about 2015 that he played against you that day and you could barely run and he felt like he didn't play on, on anyone all day that was a bit harsh <laughs> Steffi Harding a good man Steffi a couple clip. of years with him towards the end there and uh, he came over to the, to the right side of town but uh, no he's a good fella Steffi we we uh, we obviously had some awesome, you know, like battles with Fremantle because it was so important that, you know, we beat them at first, mm. you know, for as long as we possibly could. It was something that we felt like, you know, we needed to do to be able to, you know, sustain, um, you know, our sort of standing in the competition. It was to make sure, you know, we beat those new kids on the block. But, you know, I got to know a lot of the Freo guys and uh, that fantastic crew, you know. But when when the games of footy come around, it was, it was really good. It was serious business. But, um I mean, it was good fun. Better fun winning than losing, but uh, still good fun playing the game. You did play on for another couple of years after that, but you, you must have been a bit sore if uh, if if Stiffy was right that day. <laughs> yeah, Stiffy's got the worst memory in the world. He's probably got a worse memory than me. I do remember that. Somebody <laughs> too much of those oils. That buddy horse oils he's been sniffing down there. Bad way. I think he was just hoping that you had forgotten. He was just uh, pulling a few from the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> he must have got the. He must have got the better of that day. He doesn't forget, does he? <laughs> no, nah, might have been his only win there, mate. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> You're listening to Bush Footy Legends with Steve Butler. Mental health issues can affect anyone. It may be difficult at first, but talking can help. If you notice something different about a friend or a family member, check in on them. They might brush you off at first with "I'm fine." But keep checking in on them if you notice something isn't right. It lets them know that you're there to support them. Talking and listening are powerful. For tips on how to check in on a mate, search Think Mental Health WA. Now, let's go to 2018. You present the Premiership Cup to the Eagles after watching a fellow Kalgoorlie kid, Dom Sheed, win the grand final against Collingwood, one of the greatest goals in AFL history. That must have been... Something special for you all these years down the track. Oh, mate, it's so incredible. And the funny thing is, uh, young Dom, I did my apprenticeship with his father, Ian, up is in Kevin right? William, my literary apprenticeship. Yeah, and Speedy <laughs> Ian, Speedy is his nickname, and he was a brilliant tennis player, a really, really good tennis player and a really good sportsman all around, uh, Ian Sheed. And, um, yeah, when I seen his son coming through, I thought, oh, that is awesome. You know, see another Kalgoorlie kid. And to know him, you know, and know his dad so well, it, um, oh, it was amazing, really, mate. I mean, I was down on the boundary line myself, Tony Shaw, with the cup. And um, I had my young bloke, Sonny, with me. And, you know, I was getting down to the last few minutes. And 
Don got that mark in the pocket, you know, we're standing right there and he kicked that goal, you know, and Tony Shaw just looked around at me and just gave me the cup and said, you got it, that's it, oh, <laughs> mongrels. Geez, that must so have hurt Tony free, too. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Sean Hart, he was presenting the uh, the Norm Smith, you know, yep. and a minute or so before that, I said, oh, who, who won the Norm Smith? And he said, oh, Shuey's won it. I said, oh, okay. And uh, he said, just in front of Dom Sheet. Oh. And then he kicked that goal, and I looked at him, and I said, You might have to do the votes again. You know, wouldn't that have been awesome if he was able to win that? You know, because he played such a great game as well. But, yeah, I mean, Chewie was, was uh, clearly the best, I think. But, yeah, well, that was just an amazing, you know, to think we could win that. It was, oh, was mind-blowing, really. What a game, you know, back and flow. You told me in the change rooms uh, straight after the game that you were, and I quote, Buggered, and you'd only been sitting in the stands. I know. I was so tired from all the beers and the hot dogs and everything I was eating and drinking. You know, that's what happens when you get older, but you, that's what you do to settle the nerves. You've got to have a beer or two or a hot dog. Well, those pie, the pies are pretty good, but uh, absolutely, mate, the four and 20 at the footy. But uh, oh, yeah, I was exhausted. I mean, I was sitting in amongst um, uh, a few Collingwood guys, uh, Michael Christian, and a few others, you know. Mm. And, uh, they were us up a bit all day and we'd sort of kick one or two and they'd get back and they, especially when they kicked the first five and, you know, Moldass was sitting three or four seats up and I looked at him and he looked at me and I thought, here we go. <laughs> he couldn't lose either way. But, but uh, yeah, it was, it was an incredible game because the couple of years earlier in 2015, I was going to present the cup as well. And I went down at the start of the, the, uh, of the ground, you know, the, bring the cup out and it was with Peter Knights from Hawthorne and so we walked out there and did the cup thing and whatever and you know we're walking back up and taking us back to our seats and I uh, heard a couple of big roars you know and got back up in my seat and I said to my young boy son he said who kicked the first goal he said we did dad oh you guilty I'll go get a couple of beers here now you know and that was the last goal we kicked for about three quarters <laughs> so I had that terrible feeling inside my stomach you know but when they kicked the first four or five goals I thought oh no they can't can't do this to us again but yeah, yeah it was just an amazing win Oh, and there were such scenes in that change rooms afterwards. I'll, I'll never forget them, I must say. Uh, it was uh, very entertaining. Now, Kempi, what do you remember about round 10, 1996, at Amy Stadium in Adelaide? Not a great deal, mate. Not a great deal. <laughs> Buddy Rashido got me high, did he? Is that the one? He absolutely got you high. It was a shoulder right to yeah. your head. And yeah. uh, just going back and watching whenever it again. I see that, whenever oh. I see that, Mungo, too, he reckons it was fair. I heard a podcast with him talk about how it was just about the best one he ever gave out, and it was a ripper. You, he got you square up and down, and gee, it was quite sickening know, to watch him. You know, that's what happens. You get in front of the goals, mate, you got that ball, you think, oh, here we go, this one here, I'm not going to get this one through. Yeah, you, you, just well, got to down put, on the blind side, yeah. To put people in the picture, you were just, just floating into the forward line, not far out, just about to snap on your right foot, yeah. probably lairising a, t- a touch like, maybe, Tommy? Yeah, yeah, always like trying to do something like that if I could. But uh, yeah, no, it was a good shot. I remember, I remember, you know, I had a headache for a couple of days after, but I only missed one week, and you know, probably you shouldn't sort of go back after one week. I wouldn't think after that. I mean, I was close to even playing that following week, but but um, you know, I'm pretty glad I probably didn't because you don't really feel right for a little while after that sort of thing. Well, the one thing I thought after realising who played in that game, I mean, you had blokes like Woosher. John Worsfold, Bluey McKenna, Ash McIntosh, and uh, none of them actually looked after you. They could, they didn't even block a path for you. Very soft, mate. Full of wind and air, all those blokes. You know Unbelievable. that. Unbelievable. Very, very ordinary. 
all the world. Have you ever done for those blokes as well? They quickly forget, mate, don't they? And I think uh, from memory, Ash, all Ash did, uh, Macintosh, was give you a, a silly smirk after the game, didn't he? He said, that was good, mate. Well done. I think we won by 10 goals that night or something. <laughs> so, they're all very excited. <laughs> well, I more seriously, Kevin, you know, anyway. a, a few years on, you started to have some issues. I remember you telling me once that you'd been driving to Subiaco Oval for training for years and all of a sudden you had to start pulling over on the side of the road to try and remember how to get there. It must have been a pretty scary time wondering what was happening happening to you then. Yeah, that wasn't very nice, but it was... Um, yeah, I used to live in City Beach, so not far from Subie Oval. And, um, yeah, I've had a few things like that happen over the years, mate. But the first time it happened was, um, yeah, it was really alarming and, you know, a bit concerning, obviously. But um, touch wood, I've, you know, been going okay. So everything can keep on ticking along. That'd be good, mate. Well, when the doctors had a look, they found a pretty big brain in there, didn't they? Oh, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe the size of it. And that's what I tell the boys, and that's what even happened. No one believes me. The surgeon said to me, you must be really intelligent, Mr. Kemp. I said, I'm pretty fucking switched on. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> that you, your mates would have just told you it was swollen one from the hit. <laughs> <laughs> Not what I tell everyone, mate. Not what I tell everyone. <laughs> well, I think the biggest shame of the whole thing is that bloody helmet the doctors made you wear rubbed all that beautiful blonde hair off. <laughs> <laughs> I said to buddy Billy Sutherland, our footy trainer, I said, well, where are we get a helmet from? He said, well, you're going to have to go to Belcatta somewhere. I think there's a sports store that sells helmets for rugby league players, or rugby union or something. I said, oh, what? So, yeah, so he took me down there one day and we got a helmet, put a bit of tape on the front of it over the sign, whatever type of helmet it was. <laughs> it was the most uncomfortable bloody thing you'd ever worn in your life. You couldn't hear anything or see anything. And, but uh, I tried to wear it for a few games, but I thought, no, no, it's too hard. It's too uncomfortable. And, it just wasn't me. As your career come to an end, Kempi, how did you deal with that sort of worry that something might be there with your with your you know, brain condition? Yes, I mean, it's always in the back of your mind, but I mean, even now, you know, I mean, you still think about that. But, um, you know, the crazy part was that my body was sort of going all right. I sort of felt like I could probably play for a few more years quite yeah. easily, really. But, but I had um, just had, you know, too many issues with my head and that and just... I just thought it just wasn't worth it in the end, and and uh, and like anyone that retires, you, you always think you're sort of gone a little bit too early. But I think my time was up, and I was lucky enough to have the time I had. Well, certainly you achieved all the stuff that you probably would have taken at the start of your career when uh, you were thinking about it back as a kid in Kalgoorlie. There's no doubt about that. But even though I mean, you moved straight down to Market River virtually, and and it's a beautiful place down there. But that first twelve months was pretty difficult for you, wasn't it? You got that sort of uh, characteristic feeling that most footballers who have been in it for a long time have that it's pretty tough to leave what you love, isn't it? It is, yeah. And you get sport and looked after as well. Like I said, oh, I mean, you get to play a wonderful game and, uh, you know, meet some wonderful people and that. And once it's all over, it ends pretty fast from that time you do retire. But, uh, yeah, to come down to Margaret River and we live on a, uh, a bush block in Margaret River um, out towards the coast and that, and you don't sort of see many people where we live and, yeah, to sort of switch it on pretty quickly like that was took a little bit of getting used to, you know. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's been probably the best move I've ever made. You know, we, we actually love it down here. So initially, what did you find the hardest thing was to let go, Kempi? I, I imagine the mateships mainly, and and just that usual routine, and you know, being around your mates every day at training and playing and having a bit of fun. And and what did you do to actually get yourself past that initial hard hardship mentally? Yeah, I think the hardest part is the routine. Exactly what you say, Bart. It's about 
you know, human beings love to... I remember when we used to go into meetings and everyone would sit in the same spot all the time, you know, and, and you get on the bus and everyone sits in the same... You know, yep. funny things that human beings do sort of that you don't even think about, you just do it instinctively. And, and routine was such a big part of that. When you wake up every day, you go to training and you get home and you go back to training in the afternoon and, and so forth. So that was the biggest thing is to try and find um, what else to do sort of thing, what what um, what routine to get into. And honestly, I'm sure it's hard still for any of the guys that retire. It's, it's just about finding the right thing that fits for you. And, and me, I was lucky enough to sort of get into golf and bits and pieces down here and met a few people and, and got had a few things sort of happening straight away, which is good, but it, uh, it's not an easy transition, that's for sure, for anyone to do that. I mean... It's such a wonderful life, but you can't do it forever. And once it's finished, you really start from uh, from the ground up again and mm. you know, go out and get a real job and, and try and earn some money for the family and you know make a living. Yeah, it's a pretty brutal transition. There's no doubt about that. I know you had a crack at starting the, the Dean Kemp Football Academy back in 2012 to try and drive a bit more opportunity for country kids like yourself. Was, was that you, you had a feeling in you that you knew it was hard to sort of come from those regions to make it into the big smoke? Did, did you just want to give something back to those kids and and try and help them along to give them an opportunity? Yeah, that was the only reason I started. But I just thought exactly that. I thought back to when I was a kid growing up and I can always remember, you know, we had the Subaco players to come up and you see Gary Bacanara and these sort of guys and Glenn mm. O'Loughlin and different people, you know. And I sort of, uh, I did a couple of camps, you know, in Bunbury and in Kalgoorlie and, um, you know, it was really awesome and the kids absolutely loved it. And I got so many emails <laughs> From, you know, from kids saying, when's the next one? And it just sort of wasn't viable to be able to keep it, keep it going, you know, and I was trying to get support from, from different places, but uh, it just didn't work out. And it was a shame because, you know, I put a lot of hard work into it, but um, it just didn't work out. Well, I know that um, we always talk about the emotional support from families and that behind kids, but there's also a lot of physical support, isn't there, to sort of get them to training and get them to Perth or wherever they need to be to enhance their careers. And I imagine that was something you reflected on the people that helped you in that regard over the years? Oh, most definitely, mate. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, my dad died when I was only a young boy, just turned 15. It was on um, grand final day, I think, Kalgoorlie at the footy. And um, my mum sort of took a huge load on, you know, after he passed away and she brought me to Perth and we used to come down on the train, you know, on a Friday and try and go to a training session or and on a Saturday or a game or whatever it might be and, just to try and be involved, but then we'd have to obviously go back home Sunday, Sunday sort of morning. And um, but she, you know, did so many wonderful things for me, and you know, and my other family members did as well. So it was um, not just me. You know, there's five kids in our family, so mm. my mum had a lot to take care of. But I was still very lucky to be able to, you know, try and come down and participate in some of these sporting, you know, training sessions and, and different occasions. Yeah, it's pretty special to remember those times, isn't it? Because uh, mum's can be so special and uh, so selfless in the way they look after their kids like us. But uh, I know that you often joke, Kempi, about how good you were, but you were bloody good. But how how big were your doubts <laughs> in that you could actually make it all the way back then? Oh, totally. Like, like everyone, I reckon, deep down. But you're so unsure and yes. everyone's so unsure. You know? I mean, deep down inside, you might feel confident that you can do it, but you really, really are unsure, you know, until you sort of get on to the biggest stage sort of in our country of, of playing AFL footy at the highest level and, and to be able to get out there and perform um, with these guys and to, you know, and that's what I tell a lot of young kids, you know, for country kids or whatever, if I, if I do something out in and, and footy around the place here that, 
you know, no one's, no one, there's no difference between anyone, between you and the next guy. It's just who's prepared to work the hardest and, and push himself the furthest, you know. It's no different to you. They can't kick the ball any further or run any faster or jump any higher or anything. It's, it's all a real mind game, really. And that's uh, something that, you know, a guy called Glenn O'Loughlin used to play for Subiaco sort of mm. taught me early on in my career. And I started to train up in Kalgoorlie and he, he'd come up and help me when he was back from his playing days at Subi in the West Coast, you know. So, um, but... Yeah, there's so many opportunities out there for kids, and but like you know, bucks nothing's come as easy, mate. There's no. a price price to pay, and you got to be prepared to to do that. You never forget that help either, do you? I think that's another thing. You never forget those people. No, who reach that's out for sure, you. mate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we just talked yeah, about 2012. Sure. I think back then you were also coaching the uh, under 11 Margaret River Sharks, mate. What sort of coach were you? <laughs> I was a genius, mate. <laughs> Making all the moves at the <laughs> right time. <laughs> I think he picked up a couple of wins for the year. We had a big year. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, just to see him all run around, kids have fun. And, uh, yeah, no, they were wonderful days, mate. Now, mate, you're inducted into the WA Footy Hall of Fame in 2005, then the Australian Footy Hall of Fame two years later. Then just when you thought you'd been forgotten in 2017, you're inducted into the WA Hall of Champions. To be placed amongst WA's elite sportsmen and women from all of those codes and all of the sports must have been some honour, mate. Oh, it was awesome. It was fantastic. And uh, then I got a call from David Hatt and said, uh, you know, you're going to be... And I was over the moon. I couldn't believe that. Uh, and I thought well, I was lucky enough to get inducted into those other uh, occasions to the AFL and um, and that sort of thing. But I thought, my time's up. That's about it. You know, that's all you get. And that's it's done. But... Um, to get that uh, final one from from them in WA was yeah it was awesome. You spoke right at the start, Tommy, about those friendships that you made. Who do you keep in touch with the most from your West Coast Eagles days, and how important is their friendship uh, at this stage of your life? Oh, yeah, it's really important. It really is. Well, probably my best mate is the big eared guy, Brett Hetty. You know, Jobby, big ears. He's uh, he's the best mate, and uh, I mean, he was in my wedding party, you know, and. He comes down from time to time, him and his wife, Andrea, and, you know, spend a weekend together and, you know, but there's so many other guys, you know, Chris Waterman and Tony Evans and David Hines and Peter Wilson and we're really lucky. We had an amazing group, 92 and 94, and the majority of those guys really still keep in contact with each other and, as I said, we, we catch up once a year to go to the races together, the 92 and 94 guys, and we have a fantastic day and, uh, you know, just tell lies to each other and have a have a bit of fun and have a laugh. Well, speaking of which, how high uh, now does Brett Hetty tell you he was during that uh, Western Derby mark in the first game against Fremantle? How high does he get these days? <laughs> well, he reckoned, he reckoned, I've never seen seen the, the ways this big at Scarborough Beach, but he reckons it was four <laughs> to five foot that day. <laughs> that's, that's what he reckons. I don't think I've ever seen it over three foot. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think he just gets a bit upset that everyone thinks he only ever played one game. <laughs> no one remembers there wasn't even a grand there wasn't even a grandstand there back then. <laughs> you can even measure himself. You could look over the fence by well, you could look over the fence by standing on your t- tippy toes, you know, but he reckons he got pretty high, but we'll let we'll let him have that. Well Tommy, I always love talking to you about footy, but what sort of advice would you give to an aspiring young country footballer in today's environment? Oh, look, I think if the kid, you know, is um, committed and dedicated and this is what he wants to do with his life to play footy, the opportunities are so, so amazing, you know. I mean, even to get to the waffle level is a huge achievement, I reckon. But um, if they're prepared to sort of leave home, and that's the biggest step, but is to sort of leave the family home, it's not easy. But, I mean, there's so many rewards 
you know, in AFL football. And I'd always say to anyone, you know, if there's an opportunity, get down there and just give it your best. You only have to give it a shot. It doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but just have a go at it, especially if you have the talent to, to sort of go that far. You know, there's plenty of kids that I've played with up in Kalgoorlie that were, were really talented but just didn't have the work commitment or the desire. And, you know, it's a shame to see, but that's what you choose in life. And if that's the path you choose, well, so be it. But uh, I'd love to see as many kids as possible just have a go at it. Well, you'll always be remembered as a legend of a footballer, Tommy, and uh, you're even more so, more a legend of a bloke. Thanks for the chat, mate. Uh, thanks, Butts. Appreciate it, mate. It's great to catch up and reminisce, mate. We'll catch up with you soon. See you, buddy. Thanks for listening. Please share the podcast or tell a friend about it. And for tips on how to check in on a mate, search Think Mental Health WA.